Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Last week, if you were here, uh, we, we, I started a message titled, Return to the Lord. Amen? How many of us know that we need to return to the Lord in, in every area of our life? There's times and seasons where we may find ourselves, you know, we, we may find ourselves, you know, you know, drifting from the Lord in, in, in different ways. And what does that look like? Sometimes that means that for some of you, maybe you had a really strong prayer life and your prayer life was, was, was strong, it was solid, and then some trial or situation happened in your life and maybe it caused you to drift in your prayer life, you know, not praying as much as you used to. That would be an area where you could say, you know what, I need to return to the Lord. Amen. I need to spend more time with the Lord in prayer. Or maybe for another person, it's, it's, it's spending time in the word. You find yourself maybe having, having drifted, you know, to a certain degree because, you know, there was a time where you were super faithful in the word. You were always reading the word day and night. You know, you were spending time, you know, with the Lord and you were <clears throat> learning about God and you were, you know, you know, feasting on the word and, and you were finding time with the Lord, but maybe you have gotten laxed. Maybe your TV watching went up and your time in the Bible went down. Or maybe, you know, your time on social media went up and your time reading the word of God went down. Whatever the area or whatever the case, I believe it's important that we make up our mind and we say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. Lord, I'm coming back to you because I believe the Lord wants restoration of our time for him. Amen? I believe the Lord is looking at us because I, I, I say this, and, and I'll get more into this as we go along, but the Lord is going to return, church. Amen? I, I don't know how else to say this with, with urgency, but yet with expectation, but yet with, you know, uh, you know just being in awe that the Lord is going to return. And I know some of you might be like, oh, Pastor Duke, but, you know, I got plans for my life. Listen, the only plan that we should desire is Jesus returning. Amen? Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. The future spouse or the, or the kids or the relationships or the career or whatever it is that you're in, in pursuit of in this season, it can wait. Amen? Because Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return. And guess what? If that's five years from now or five minutes or five seconds from now, our focus and our attention should always be on the Lord. But if he wants more time from us, then give him your time. If he wants the gifting that he's, he's blessed you with. Now, everyone raise your hand really quickly with me tonight. Just raise your hand. Let me just see it. Every single one of you has been given a gift by God. Amen. Every single one of you has purpose in the kingdom of God. Every single one of you has a plan in the kingdom of God. And listen, the Lord is wanting you to use and activate your gift, whatever it is, for his honor and his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. There's no bench warmers in the kingdom of God. How many of you know what a bench warmer is? We've heard that title or we've heard that term, you know, always, you know, related to athletes and, and people that are, you know, uh, you know, in sports. A guy that's a bench warmer is a guy that's on the sideline and he's not in the game. Amen. 
It's a person that's on the sideline. They're not actively in the game. They're not using, you know, their, their gift. You know, maybe they're a really good first baseman or second baseman or a pitcher, but they're on the bench because, you know, they found themselves there or somebody's better than them. Listen, there is room for every single one of us to operate in our gifts in the kingdom of God. Amen? There's no first-string Christians and there's no second-string Christians. Amen? There should always be room for us to use our gift for the Lord. And Jesus wants us to return to that. Jesus wants us to restore our calling to him. Dare I say, for those of you that, that have recognized that the Lord has placed a call on your life, you've begun to make it more about you than, than you have about him. Amen. The calling is for him. He who called you is faithful. The one who called us is the one that we are to serve. Amen. Jesus wants restoration of our obedience to him. That's the good one. Jesus wants restoration of our following of him. Jesus wants restoration of our seeking of him. Amen. And so tonight as we continue in this series, return to the Lord, I believe first and foremost that the Lord will return. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, and let's read this tonight. It says this. It says, and do this understanding the present time. It said, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation. How many of you know our salvation is not a thing? Our salvation is a person. Amen. Our salvation, which is Jesus Christ, is nearer now than when we first believed. Let's read it one more time. Understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. How many of y'all are tired, amen? All right. (laughs) I can't be the only one that's tired. I had to eat a donut right before service because I realized I hadn't eaten anything all day. So thank God for Sister Claudia. She brought donuts to work today and I I partook. Amen, yeah, yeah, give her praise, all right. (laughs) Praise God for donuts. But I had to wake up from my slumber, so I needed to put something in my belly, And some of us may be in a spiritual slumber. Some of us may be just coasting along. You know, when you're you're in a slumber, it's like when your parents are trying to wake you up to get ready for school. And and they're saying, hey, hurry, you got to get ready. And you're just kind of like, uh, uh. It's like you hear them, but you can't respond because you're still like in the middle somewhere. You hear them, but you can't get up because you haven't fully woken up. Amen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So here the scripture is saying the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen. Let's pray for tonight's word. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Father, for every person that's present. And Lord, I thank you for every family that's represented. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Lord, we give you this service. We give you this evening, God. And we just ask that that your Holy Spirit would just teach us, instruct us, Lord. Show us, Lord, your ways. Teach us about yourself, Lord, tonight. We're here for you. We just receive this word, God, into open hearts, God, open ears, Lord. Father, we just receive it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that the return of the Lord is imminent and near to us. That means the Lord is going to return. But the question of the hour is this. Before he returns for his bride, have we fully returned to him? Have we fully returned to him? You might have said, well, Pastor Duke, I was here last week. I returned to the Lord. I had some baggage. I had some things, and and I brought it back to God. 
I believe that there's a constant renewal and returning. We learned about that last week. We, we learned that the, that the mercy of God, it's renewed every morning. Why? Because there's need for us to return to him in some way, shape, fashion, or form. And so tonight, I want to speak to us more in depth about our hearts towards the Lord. We've heard scriptures like Proverbs chapter 3. How many of you remember Proverbs 3 verse 5? It says, trust in the Lord with what? With all of your heart. He says, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Amen? We've heard Mark 12 and 30 that says this, Love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. But what does loving the Lord with our heart really look like? What does loving the Lord with our heart truly look like? Because I believe it could be described as a well-ordered heart. What does that mean? There is a pursuit of Jesus that is worthy of our devotion. Amen? There is a pursuit of the Lord that is worthy of our devotion. And there is a goal that is achievable even in the most desperate of situations. That means that circumstance doesn't dictate our ability to love God and to give God fully our heart. And it will produce good far beyond our own little sphere of influence if we choose to love him with all of our heart. It's something that our soul longs for, and it's the life that we've truly always wanted. It is the quest for what might be called a well-ordered heart. And so what does it mean to have a well-ordered heart? Augustine said this. He suggested to have a well-ordered heart is to love the right thing, to the right degree, in the right way, with the right kind of love. I'll say it one more time. To have a well-ordered heart is to love the right thing, to the right degree, in the right way, with the right kind of love. Think about that statement just for a second. The Lord is wanting us to love him fully the right way, not our way, not the way the world suggests, not in the, in the amount that I desire to give him only, but with the right kind of love and posture and heart before himself. And so what does this look like? I believe that we can answer this question as we go forward tonight. In returning to the Lord, we must know this, is that he is the right one to love. He is the right one to love. This is the answer to that first question. And I have to say this because if you are born again, then the Lord is the right one to fall in love with. Amen? If you've given your heart fully to Jesus, he is the right one to love. And so we have to look no further to the one who has given us agape love, which is an unconditional love. And it's certainly Jesus is worthy of our love back towards him. He's certainly worthy of us giving all of ourselves back towards him. But if you're not born again or saved, then Jesus is looking for the surrender of your sin, yourself, and your will. You see, if you have not given your heart to Jesus, he is looking for a surrender of our sin to him, ourself to him, and our will to him. And so going back to that verse that we read last week, in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, even now declares the Lord, he says, return to me with all of your heart, 
with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. See, the Lord makes it very personal. You know, a lot of times we think, you know, we're just, we're just kind of coming back to the, to the fold. We're just coming back, you know, as sheep. You know, we come back into the gate of the, of the family of God under the, the shepherd of God. But Jesus makes it very personal, and he says, return to me. It is a personal relationship that you have with Jesus, and it's a personal relationship with the one that you must return to. It's not going around some kind of other way to, to you, know, you know, skirt, you know, go along the outskirts of, of the presence of God, but it's coming face to face with Jesus. Did you know, church, that our sin is what separates us from the Lord? Amen. Our sin is what separates us from the Lord. And what causes us to sin? You know, I believe that we can answer that. What causes us to, us to sin is not a lack of discipline. What causes us to sin isn't the devil himself. It's actually our failure to love him in moments of temptation and trial. It is forsaking the one who loves us for something that's inferior because we want to fulfill the desires of our flesh. Does that make sense tonight? It's saying, Jesus, I, I want to fulfill the desires of my flesh, so in this moment I choose to love you less <laughs> than you're worthy of being loved. In this moment, I, I, I say yes to, to my flesh or yes to this thing that you know, has been brought before me. And I, and I, and I give in to that because, because in this moment, it's greater than you. But like I said, it's not a lack of discipline. It's not the enemy. It's our failure to love him in the greatest moments of temptation and trial. 1 Samuel chapter 12 Verse 24 says this, be sure to fear the Lord. How many of you know that we need to fear the Lord? What does that fear look like? It's a, it's a healthy reverence. It's a healthy respect and honor for who he is. When we hear the word fear, we obviously think of, of being afraid. And you know what? It, it, it's probably wise to be afraid of the one who has the lightning finger. <laughs> I used to tell my youth, when I was a youth pastor, I said, you know, that, that God could smite us at any second. I mean, I think we have to realize who we're dealing with here. Now, I believe that the Lord is, is very patient with us, like Scripture says, and he's very gracious, like Scripture says, and very merciful, like Scripture says, but there will be a day when there is no more patience. Amen. There will be a day when the mercy has finally run out, and that's when the Lord will return. But here and now, he says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with what? With all of your heart. He said, and consider what great things he has done for you. Think about this thought. When I was reading this verse, if in a great moment of temptation and trial, we consider what Christ has done for us and what the Holy Spirit is reminding us of, I believe in that moment there will be a shift in our heart where we will turn from our sin and we will turn to love him and fulfill what he desires. You see, if you would just stop in that moment where the enemy has placed something before you. Jesus, when he was tempted, you know, after fasting for 40 days, the enemy brought different kinds of temptation before him. The first thing was, was, was bread. He said, hey, Jesus, you know, I know you're probably pretty hungry. You've been in the desert for the last 40 days. If you're the son of God, why don't you tell these stones to become bread? How many of you know that Jesus could have done it? Yes, absolutely. He could have done it. 
But why didn't he do it? Because his father never told him to. You see, Jesus always lived in response to the father and never in reaction to the devil. He never lived in a way where he was, you know, oh, the devil challenged me, so you know what? I need to challenge him back, and I need to, to prove that I am, I am God. I'm supreme. You know, I'm the son of God. He never lived that way, and he didn't operate that way. But we see that he was also tempted. The enemy offered him all the, all the land of the world, everything. He said, if, I'll give you all this, everything as far as you could see, if you would just bow down and worship me. And what was Jesus' response? He said, it is written to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and serve him only. He knew that even in the moment of facing a great temptation, Loving the Father was more important than giving in to the sin. And I tell us the same thing tonight. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. See, this is part of loving Jesus. Amen? This is part of loving him. 1 John 5 and 3 says this, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And he says, and his commands are not burdensome. What does that mean? They're not heavy. They're not tiresome. They're not, they're not difficult. They're not challenging. He simply says, keep my commands. I think it's sometimes we misalign our hearts thinking that worship is the only way to love Jesus. I think sometimes there's this, there's this kind of conjecture in our thinking or, or maybe this misalignment in our thinking, thinking that Worship is the only way to love God or telling others about Jesus is the only way to tell of his love. But we see that Christ always takes it further. And he said this, he said when he says to keep his commands, this is the sum of everything that he's asked us to do. This is loving him with, with all of it. If you could go through your, your, your Bible and, and go through the things that Jesus has asked of us, he's, he's told us things like heal the sick. He's told us things like raise the dead. He's told us things like cast out demons. He said, freely give as you freely received. He said, preach the gospel. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said to love him with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength, and so on. These are the things that Jesus has asked of us, Amen. But loving the right one means that what we pronounce, it like, like we do in wedding vows. For those of you that are married, maybe you've said this in your wedding vows. But if you've ever been to a wedding, they say something like this. Loving the right one means that we pronounce this. That we forsake all others and we keep ourselves only unto the Lord as long as we both shall live. This is a vow that we, we commit to in marriage. A husband and a wife, they say, you know what, I will forsake all others. I am for, for you and, and, and she is, is for me and I'm forsaking the world. I'm forsaking any other woman that may come into my life. I'm forsaking them all to keep myself only for her. Amen. That's what marriage is. That's what a covenant is. And we, we make this promise and we make this covenant with one another. And so I, I, we say this because to forsake something means that you turn your back on it. How many of you know that Jesus said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you? Amen. What is he saying? He's saying, I will never turn my back on you. My promise to you as long as you shall live in this earth is I will never turn my back on you. 
I will never run from you. I will never not be there when you need me. And in this world that we live in, I, I believe that every single one of us has experienced at one time or another someone that wasn't there when we needed them to be. It could have been a parent. It could have been a loved one, a trusted friend. You know, it doesn't matter who it is, but we've experienced at one point or another somebody that wasn't there. And Jesus says, I will never forsake you. I will always be there. I will never forsake you. And so I tell you this, church, if your back must be turned towards anyone, let it be towards the ways of the world. If you're going to turn your back on anyone, let it be towards the ways of the world. Let it be towards wickedness and sin. Let it be towards those relationships that pull you into sin instead of closer to the Lord. See, it's okay to forsake those things. Amen? It's okay to say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, but I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. It doesn't matter, you know, if, if I lose somebody along the way, you know what? I've had a lot of close friends in my day, and guess what? Many of them are not walking with me any longer. You want to know why? Because they're not following Jesus. They're not willing to go where I'm going because I'm following the Lord. And you should be following the Lord as well. There comes a point in a time where you have to forsake that relationship and say, you know what, this is not profitable to my walk with the Lord. It doesn't mean that you try to not reach them with the gospel. It doesn't mean that you just turn your back and just throw them away to the world. But it means that we say, you know what, I will follow Jesus no matter what. It's really hard to follow Jesus if you're holding on to things. It's really difficult. Jesus said in his word, he said this, he said, if, you know, no one who, who, who chooses to follow me, he, says, he said, you are unfit for the kingdom if you, if you turn around, if you look back. And he used this analogy of talking about plowing a row in a, in a field. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could plow a straight row if I've got my head turned around. I don't think I could go along the straight and narrow the way that he wants me to. I've seen some of y'all drive when you text. I had to get your attention tonight. I see people, man, I was, I was driving, I think, I don't know, to church or coming home this afternoon, and I saw a guy just, just starting to veer into my lane. I was like, whoa. Back off, and as soon as I pass him, he's on the phone. Sad to say, but I'm sure a lot of people have lost their lives because of people not looking where they're supposed to. And dare I say that there would be any Christians and any believers that have lost, you know, their relationship with the Lord because they're looking at the wrong thing. They're looking to the wrong people. They're looking to the wrong, you know, you know things to cling on to or to place their trust in. They're, they're looking in the wrong direction. If your back's going to be turned towards anybody, let it be towards the influences of the world and, and the influences of the enemy. But never let it be towards Christ. Because he will never leave you. Amen. He will never forsake you, church. The second order of the heart is this. It's to love the Lord to the right degree. Or to the right level. We have to ask ourselves that question tonight. To what level should we love the Lord? I don't know about you, but I've served the Lord long enough to have been accused of being like a Jesus freak <laughs> or a fanatic or a crazy person because, you know, 
people say, well, I mean, do you really need to like, like, you know, give up everything? You know, do you really need to like stop hanging out with that group of friends? Do you really need to like, you know, you know, go to church, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff? I mean, can't you just, you know, yes. <laughs> I've made a vow to the one who died for my sins that I would follow him until he returns for me. Amen? Made a vow to the one who, 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 who gave up everything for me. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about the humility of Jesus, and it talks about the humility, the humility of Christ that said that, that he humbled himself to even death upon a cross. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never in this world had anybody die for me. Certainly, I've had people in this world that, that, that thought very little of me. But there was one that called my name. His name is Jesus. And he said, for you, I'm willing to die. You see, Jesus would have died for one or all the same. There was no partiality. There was no, you know, favoritism in any way. Jesus was willing to die for us all. It didn't matter the gravity of our sin or the depth of our sin or, or you know, how long you've been sinning or anything like that. None of those things mattered. What was most important was him fulfilling his father's will. And what should be most important to us when we ask ourselves this question, to what degree or level should we love the Lord? It's simply the answer is this, is to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. What does that mean? That means that we love him with all of our being. I've been privileged to, to not only serve the Lord for many years, but I've been privileged to work here at Rock of Ages for 20 years. This is my 20th year here. Amen. Give God the glory. Amen. But when I first started, you know, uh, working here with Pastor and Santiago and the first order of business that I was assigned to was to clean the church. How many of you know that there's no little positions in the kingdom? See, God doesn't rank things the way that we do. For us, we may see somebody that's a janitor or, or cleans houses or, or does that line of work, and we may think, oh, well, you know, they're, they're, they're just, you know, maybe they're uneducated or maybe they don't have this or that. And, and we, we tend sometimes to look down on those positions because they're not a high-ranking position like a CEO or, or somebody that, you know, makes all kinds of money. But the first thing that I was privileged and honored to do was to, was to clean the house of the Lord. And very quickly, I learned that it was, it was a humble job. It was a humble endeavor. Because I was, I was serving the Lord first, but I was also serving God's people. And I couldn't let my own pride get in the way of, of, of doing what the Lord had asked me to do. And so I, I quickly learned that, you know, you know, serving him was with all of my heart, with my mind, with my soul, with my strength. It was, it was in everything that I did. It was if I saw this, this lovely arrangement that was here and I saw that it was crooked, I would fix it. Not to be acknowledged by any person or whatever, or if I saw the chairs, they were out of line, I would straighten them out. 
or I'd wipe off the, the mirror and I, I wouldn't leave any streaks on the mirror because I wanted people to be able to see themselves clearly so I would be thorough in everything that I was doing. And there was a process that the Lord began to teach me and that was about being, you know, uh, you know giving everything and doing everything as unto him. I started realizing really quickly that everything that I did, he was watching. Everything that I was doing, he was seeing. Everything that I would utter under my breath, he heard. <laughs> Sometimes I'd show up to work and God bless Santiago. <laughs> but I'd show up to work and it, and it was like I'd show up, you know, in, I guess, decent clothes or whatever. And Santiago was like, hey, I need you to like paint these cabinets. I'm like, man, like this, you know. I don't know how many pairs of shoes I ruined and how many pants I tore and how many, you know, clothes that whatever. But at the end of the day, I said, Lord, this is just clothes. It doesn't matter when the assignment is given. What matters is that I do what's faithfully asked of me. The Lord is looking for us to love him with everything that we have. That means that there's no area that goes unturned. That means that it's not just a time or a season that you just perform a certain way on Sunday morning or you perform a certain way on, on a Wednesday night where everybody can see you, but everything that you do, it belongs to the Lord. He wants our words, our thoughts, our actions, our behavior, our relationship, our finances, all of it. But if I could keep focus on the heart, I say this to us tonight. Do not let your heart become hardened. Listen to me carefully tonight. Do not let your heart become hardened. It's like a body of water that's freezing in the winter. Now, I know we don't know much about freezing stuff down here in South Texas. <laughs> but if you've ever been elsewhere, it freezes. It gets really cold. And it's like a body of water that starts freezing in the winter. It starts with a little film of ice that you can barely see. But once the film forms and the pond stays still, that glaze begins to thicken. And it starts thin, but all of a sudden it quickly grows. And, and next thing you know, there's little birds that can walk on it. And next thing you know, it'll be able to support a person walking on it. And eventually you'll be able to drive a, a semi across it. And hearts are like this. When we fall away from God in any type of way, all of a sudden it may start with a little thing. And if you ignore, you know, what is in your heart and you ignore the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden that little thing that, that became, you know, just a little thin sheet of ice, it just gets a little bit harder. It gets a little bit harder. It gets a little bit, you know, thicker. And all of a sudden we fall farther and farther from God. And we're willing to do worse and worse things. And we're willing to say things that we wouldn't have said before because of our distance now between us and the Lord. And there's a lack of attention uh, that allows our hearts to become inhabited once again by what's inferior and what's not of God. And in the book of 1 Samuel the people of the Lord, they were, they were being oppressed. The people of the Lord, they had been suffering under the oppressions of the Philistines for about 20 years. And all the while, the ark of the Lord, it was sat in silence in this, in this small town. And after being captured and then returned by the Philistines, the prophet Samuel, he reenters the scene. He reenters the narrative as a prophet of the Lord and a judge over Israel. And these people, the, the, the Lord's people, they had had enough oppression from their enemies and they were ready to call out to the Lord for his deliverance. And we find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3. And it says this. So Samuel said to the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, he said, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods. 
and the Asherahs and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were in opposition that opposed everything that the Lord stood for. They were a people that had come to attack the children of God that were, that were sent you know, by the very pit of hell to, to bring oppression to the Lord's people. He said, if you would commit yourself to the Lord, if you would get rid of foreign gods, and if you would serve him only, then he would deliver you from their hand. He said, so verse 4, so the Israelites, they put away their bales and their asherahs, and they served the Lord only. So Samuel's message was really, really simple. It was repent in more than mere words. His message was repent in more than mere words. That is, if you mean it in your hearts, then take these three actions. Put away the foreign gods that you've been worshiping. Focus on the Lord and serve him only. Samuel had seen enough of this back and forth with the, with the Israelites where they would come in and out of covenant with the Lord. And he said, listen, now there is a time that if you are saying this is what you're going to do, then these three things must be done. He was holding them accountable and because Israel had this, this ongoing and this chronic sin you know, before the Lord because they would fall away from God. And what would happen? They would begin to serve false gods. Every time, it never failed. They would go back to the Egyptian way of thinking. They'd go back to the slavery mentality that God had rescued them from. And they would adopt gods of other nations. And the peoples of nearly every nation at this time, they worshipped versions of these gods in hopes of receiving blessing and protection. And guess what the Israelites did? They joined in. They did exactly as the world around them had been doing. Now, something that we note about them is this, is that they did not wholly abandon the Lord. That is, they didn't fully just, you know, you know, forsake God in that sense where they abandoned the Lord or they abandoned the knowledge of God, but instead they added worship of false gods to their on and off service to the Lord. That is, they mixed something that didn't belong with the Lord. How many of you remember that scripture in the book of Revelation? Jesus saying, he said, because you are neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, he said, I'll spit you out of my mouth. What does he mean? We are distasteful to him. We're displeasing. We don't, we're not satisfying to him. We have, we have mixed something in our life. And the Lord is not pleased with us. And so Samuel's promise to these people was this, that the Lord would once again deliver them from the Philistines if they would truly repent from their sin. If they would truly repent from their sin. And dare I say this, church, that the people of God have allowed foreign gods not worthy of space in our hearts to mislead us and to ultimately sever our relationship with the Lord. You might say, Pastor Duke, how could this be? Well, let's ask ourselves this question. What are some modern-day Baals, as the Scripture is referring to? I'll educate you a little bit tonight. Baal worship is something that most only associate with the Old Testament Bible days. But if we understand the operation of the spirit of Baal in the Bible, then one can see the fruit of its operation in our nation and in our churches today. See, Baal is translated as owner 
master, ruler, or Lord. That is, the Spirit wants to control mankind, if at all possible. And interestingly enough, God himself calls himself Baal Perizim, which means God of the breakthrough. Means God of the breakthrough. But Baal was this chief of the Canaanite gods. And as such, he would try to counterfeit the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was said that Baal was the son of a God called El, which means God. But interestingly enough, one of the names of, for our God is El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. So we see that there's this principality at work. There's one that is foreign, and there's one that's counterfeit that says that he's a God, but he's not God Almighty. See, there's a huge difference because God Almighty has all authority and all power. Amen? God Almighty is able to destroy any spirit, any, any demon, any, anything that the pit of hell would send towards the people of God. But it's interestingly enough that we, we understand this because Baal at one point was said to have been killed and raised from the dead. Now this is the demonic spirit. Was killed and was raised from the dead. Now, doesn't that remind you of somebody? <laughs> doesn't it remind you of King Jesus? Who was wrongly killed and wrongly accused, but he was risen from the dead. Baal's counterfeit is ultimately what scripture says the Antichrist will do. You see, there's a counterfeit spirit in this world that has been messing with the church for generations of time. One of the other meanings of Baal is this. It means a husband. I'm going to go a little deeper tonight. Do we have time for this? Amen. I'm not asking for your permission. I'll take it anyways. <laughs> Part of the operation of that spirit is he deals with marriage and with covenant. So in the Bible, God's children are considered to be married with the Lord. Amen? In the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, that we are the wife of God is what Scripture calls the, the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, Christians are called what? The bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom. But Baal also does this. They see, he seeks to get God's children to spiritually divorce themselves from God and to enter into covenant with, that is to marry the spirit of Baal. He wants us to break covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ and marry into covenant with his spirit. I'm educating us tonight. I wonder if this covenant-breaking spirit could be the very same spirit that's the reason behind all the divorce that we see in the church today. I'm wondering if this very same spirit that's come to attack the people of God is the very same spirit that wedges his way into our relationships, into our family, that has caused divorce to be at such a high rate in our nation. I'm wondering if this very same spirit is the one who's come to launch an attack on what actual marriage looks like between a man and a woman. Is, is this the same spirit that is in operation in our world today? Could this also be the covenant-breaking spirit behind all of the church splits where all the brothers and sisters that once were in harmony together before the Lord, is this the very same spirit that's caused brothers and sisters in Christ to break covenant with each other? 
Let's keep going. Baal was also known as a fertility god. Baal being a fertility god, that meant that there was a worship that was involved in sexual immorality. There were temple prostitutes that supported the temple worship of Baal. And its worship was filled with perversion, with homosexuality, with immorality, and with sexual promiscuity. Could this possibly be the spirit behind the promiscuity, the perversion, the homosexuality, the pornography in America today? Music and concerts are now full of demonic rituals, satanic influence, and sexual immorality. Could this be the influence in the lack of modesty in the church today as well? See, the spirit of Baal has been at work. And we just call things that are changing with the times. We just call that the times are changing. But there's a spirit that's been being at work this entire time. Let me also reveal to you what Baal does. Baal goes after children. Child sacrifice was part of the deal. Children were sacrificed to a God called Melech in the Old Testament. How many of you have read this in your Bibles? There was child sacrifice that was happening. However, they were also sacrificed to this God named Baal. And could this possibly be the spirit behind the abortions and the child abuse that we see today? The pedophilia, the sex trafficking that runs rampant in our nation. See, we're exposing something tonight. We're exposing something tonight. You see, in the Bible, godly men contended with Baal. In the Bible, there was, there was a, 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 a people and there was, there was men of God, there was women of God that contended with this spirit. In 1 Kings 18, we see a man named Elijah and he cried out to the nation of Israel. He said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? Is Baal God or is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob God? Because the one true God only has space enough to inhabit our hearts when they are solely his. I'll say that one more time. The one true God only has space enough to inhabit our hearts when they solely belong to him. You see, in the process of calling on Baal, the, pro- the prophets, in that time, they cut themselves as was their custom. There was this bodily harm, and and I believe that nowadays we've seen this run rampant amongst teenagers and young people, people that are addicted to drugs. We see them harming themselves. They're cutting themselves. I remember a few years ago, I was out passing out some flyers for some outreach that we were doing for the church, and I remember I encountered this woman and and her daughter, and and this this woman, you know, I I handed her a, a flyer to this event that we were having, and I was speaking to this lady, and she's looking at me and, and, you know, we're talking and, and as I invited her to this event, she said, you know, she couldn't come, but, you know, she was just thankful for the information. I said, okay. And I was walking away from her and, you know, kind of after just the little engagement that we had and as I was walking away, the Holy Spirit told me, turn around and ask her if she needs prayer. And I turn around and I, and I go back to this woman and, and, not to judge or criticize, but, you know, she's covered with tattoos, and at the time she smelled like marijuana, and, and, and you know, I, I, one could assume that she didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And I just asked her a simple question. I said, is there anything that I can pray for for you today? And she 
lifts up the side of her shirt. And she shows me that she has a morphine port stuck in her side. She says, I've had chronic back pain. I have seven herniated discs. And she said, and you know what? Can you pray for my daughter too? She's been diagnosed bipolar schizophrenic. She cuts herself. She hears voices. And she tells me, she says, but I know the voices that she hears, they're demons. And this was a moment for me, if I could lovely, lovingly insert myself like Elijah, it was a moment where it was like, okay, Lord, this woman has some serious needs. I'm calling upon you. I need you to show up. I'm not here as a, as a misrepresentative. I'm here as a representative of, of the Lord Most High. I'm here as a representative of the one who I believe can heal every sickness and disease, who can tear down every stronghold. I'm here to declare the name of Jesus over this woman. And in that moment, I, I, I began to pray the most simple prayer over her. I just, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just touch her back. And, and as I was praying, I had my eyes open, and I saw her do this. She's kind of like jolted and she, she straightened up. And, and when I was praying for her, I remember just kind of seeing her do that. And, and, I, and I prayed for her daughter. And, and, and as I finished, I, I asked her, I said, what did you, you know, what did you experience? She said, I felt heat go from the bottom of my feet straight up my spine. And she's like, touch it. You know, my back's on fire. And I was like, is this good? And she's like, yes, it's awesome. She's like, she was like, I have no pain. Like she wasn't feeling anything. The Lord was all over, and I was like, man, that's the Holy Spirit. And then I prayed for her daughter again because her daughter said, she, you know, she kind of felt something, but she still needed more prayer. So I prayed over her and prophesied over her, and I just I, I shared something that the Lord had put on, uh, on my heart to, to share with her in that moment. And, and I told her, I said, you're going to hear two voices from now on. Yes, you might hear the voice of the enemy, but you'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that you need to run to. He's the one that will deliver you. You see, there's a spirit that's in operation in this world that's got a lot of people by the neck. It's got a lot of people wavering between two opinions. It's got a lot of people that are, are, have one foot in and we don't realize that our foot is even there. We don't realize that we're even entangled with things in the world. We don't realize that we're even entangled with things that are, that are happening in our life. We say, oh, well, it's just music. You know, I just listened to this artist or that artist. You know, it, it has nothing to do with Jesus, but it just has a nice beat. But listen to me, friends. I have to make it plain and clear to you today and so that we have complete understanding. It's all driven by a spirit. Amen. It is all driven by a spirit. And guess what? He ain't holy. When you see the perversion that you would see if you watch a concert nowadays, it has nothing to do with music anymore. It has everything to do with a demonic agenda. It's pushing something in your face and yet you're hearing it and you're numb and you're slumber and there's this slumber in your spirit because you don't identify that it's demonic and you don't identify that it's sent from the pit of hell. But I'm here to remind us tonight, church, and wake us up in our spirit to say, listen, the Lord is not coming back for a people that have one foot in the world and one foot out. 
He's coming back for a people that are pure and holy and spotless and blameless before him. The Lord is coming back for a people, church, that look like his son. I'll go a little further tonight because I might as well. Amen. We must repent of Baal worship in America. Amen. We must repent of Baal worship in the church. We must repent of Baal worship in our heart and in our mind. Look at the biggest divisions. I have to say this. Look at the biggest divisions amongst Christians that are masked in politics. They are masked in politics. What do I mean by that? That is, you can't tell me the spirit of Baal hasn't launched an attack because the biggest divisions amongst Christians today are our opinion about things like abortion. There are divisions about our thing about what marriage is supposed to look like. There's divisions in what purity is supposed to look like when, when it comes to sex and pornography and all these things. There's, there's division of what looks like a homosexual agenda. There's division in the church about the abuse of children. The scripture says, put away all foreign gods. All foreign gods that you have been worshiping and focus yourself on the Lord and serve him only. There's Christians that agree with things that are completely against the word of God. My body, my choice. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it is not. There is one who created us. The Bible says from the dust he breathed life into us and from the dust we shall return. We don't have the freedom to do with our own lives as we wish. I know this is a strong message tonight, but I have to get this through to our hearts because there is a spirit behind all of the issues, and it's a foreign God. It's one that's counter to the one true God. It's one that's counter to our God, to Yahweh, to Elohim, which means creator God, to El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And guess what? The Lord will not put up with it any longer, for a day of vengeance will come. Ezekiel 25 and verse 17, he said this, I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. And then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. And I believe it's important for us as the church, as the body of Christ, until we repent of involving our hearts and allowing these things to be coupled with our belief in Jesus, then and only then will the Lord rescue us from our enemies. Then and only then, when we sever these ties... When we sever these ties, because what has gotten our nation at its weakest has been our acceptance of foreign gods. I'll say it again. What has got our nation at its weakest has been our acceptance of foreign gods. This is why we're in the condition that we're in. Not because of some law. Not because of some political person or some you know, president or anything like that. No, no, no. It's been our acceptance of what is detestable to our God. We've allowed the enemy to crawl into the window of our hearts and our minds and establish his own evil kingdom. But I am here to declare what Matthew 16, 19 says. Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It is time, church, that our minds and our hearts, our soul and our flesh are undivided once again. Because he deserves us all. Every foreign God that we may have come into agreement with in the past must be repented of. And we must ask the Lord again what the psalmist said in Psalm 51 in verse 10. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Create in me a pure heart. He said this, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He goes on to say, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You see, this is the plan of God. Not that we'd get so stuck in the world that we lead nobody to him. But we would ask him for a new heart. We would ask him for a steadfast spirit. We would, we would ask him for the joy of salvation so that we can lead sinners back to him. Verse 14, he said, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, for you are my God and my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. He said, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. He said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. He said, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. He said, but my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. It's an understanding that if we ourselves had had some part of our life that was accepting things that God never desired that we accept, that we say, Lord, I come back to you. Jesus, I come back to you. And that honesty before the Lord, he will not despise. That honesty before the Lord, he will receive us back to himself. We focus our heart on the Lord. And it's time to serve him and him alone. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 4 verse 18 says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. He said, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let Jesus be the fixture of our focus. Amen? Not the things of this world not the people that try to run this world, not the people that try to bring influence in this world. Let Jesus be our focus, for Jesus alone is worthy to be served, him and him alone. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.